Hello and welcome back to Video Store Nightmares, the podcast where we discuss the strange, the bizarre, and the action-packed films of the VHS era. Tonight, we are talking about the inappropriately named Executioner Part 2, which was released on a double feature cassette from Continental along with Frozen Scream, um, which we're going to talk about next week. Uh, But tonight... The Executioner. Uh, my name is Luke, and I'm joined by Leland. Listeners, the film in this episode is not so much a video store nightmare itself, but the, the viewing experience is certainly a nightmare. So why did we watch this? Well, if you want to try to figure that out along with us, then as of this broadcast, you can find 1984's The Executioner Part 2 on YouTube. And unlike some of the other films we've covered i can't imagine anyone issuing a dmca takedown for this one like by the end it really just feels like everyone wanted to forget that this production ever happened hey i had a blast watching this movie i've watched it multiple times i will be watching it in the future Uh, i am a fan i will forget this film in six months no i'm i'm i if i do That'll be all the better because I can experience watching it again. <laughs> so, yeah, this this movie was written by uh, Renee Harmon, who also plays the news reporter in the movie, the German news reporter. And uh, she is fairly famous for writing like really crap action films. So her first writing credit is Frozen Scream. Then she did Lady Street Fighter, which is kind of famous in like bad movie circles. The Executioner Part 2, Hell Riders, Night of Terror, Run Coyote Run, Revenge of Lady Street Fighter, and Jungle Trap. So she is, uh, we're in the hands of a master writer is my point. And it seems like uh, the same director of the executioner also helped out on some of those titles. Yeah, they had a, uh, they had a partnership, I think. So the director is James Bryan. Um, and I don't think I've seen any of his other films. Are, are you familiar with this guy at all? No, but if you pull up his, uh, you know, filmography, he has done lady street fighter. It looks like from IMDb that he's primarily a sound guy like sound editor and and sound mixer um on a bunch of movies uh but he's directed 21 and yeah it looks like he has directed other of renee Harmon's films um there's some clear porn sprinkled in here uh some other low budget action films i'm kind of surprised he had a career at all to be honest i mean based on this one i'm assuming these films must have made some kind of return because they were able to keep pumping them out yeah so this might be a good time to point out that there is no executioner part one right as best as anyone can guess and this is what i've uh, surmised by reading reviews and things online is the producers wanted to cash in on the success of another action movie released like a year earlier the Eliminator, 
And so they wanted to confuse people into thinking it was a sequel to that by calling it part two. But it's quite confusing. Have you seen The Eliminator? I have, but it's been a very long time. I, I don't remember it. Are there any themes in common at all? Yeah, it's it's pretty... It's another movie about like, um, you know, in the Rambo uh, milieu where we have like some a vigilante uh, um, handing out street justice. So similar, similar uh, concept. So is, is there also like a Vietnam veteran theme in there? I think there is, but I don't remember. Is this a, was this like an entire like period, like genre? Yes. Wow, I had no idea. Yeah, like the Rambo movies are, I guess, sort of the pinnacle of this genre. But yeah, it was certainly a trend post-Vietnam to have, because I think that was the first time people were really aware in the popular consciousness of like um, post-traumatic stress disorder. And it, it was also the first case where the public had really turned against a war. And so I think those things kind of intersected to create this mythos about the crazy Vietnam vet who was was going to go mad and after people. Is it really crazy or is it just like uh, tortured, damaged? I would call him crazy in this film. At, oh, okay, okay, definitely this one. But like, yeah. let's say Rambo. Like, what I'm imagining is the pinnacle of the of this genre. I think I would just call that trauma. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But here we've got hell. We've got all kinds of crazy here. So I've seen Rambo, the original, and it's a great film, and you can take it seriously. This one, not so much. And no, you can, if you, if you are going to sit down and watch this movie, I would encourage you to ideally watch it with other people and enter it uh, possibly inebriated and under the, <laughs> under the, the, the expectation that you are going to be mocking it relentlessly. Yeah, this this is great A material for riff tracks. But like I watched it by myself and I still had a blast. I wouldn't call the experience a blast, but no. I, I didn't feel like I wasted my time. <laughs> all right. Well that's good. I, <laughs> all right. So let me let me read the back of the box. And uh and this is an this is an awesome box. If you haven't seen these continental double feature big boxes. Um, on the front, they've got like a movie theater marquee with the two titles on it, and it's got stills from both. And then on the back, it has like it's split down the middle and it has a description of each movie on each side. So I'm going to read the description for The Executioner Part 2, and then let's play the trailer. Sound good? Sounds good. All right. It says... Organized crime, drug dealers, pimps, and street gangs join forces to put an end to the executioner, a crazed vigilante who has set out to rid the city of criminals, usually by planting hand grenades on them. Chris Mitchum stars as a police detective out to catch the executioner, despite strong public support for the vigilante killing. As the plot thickens, Mitchum's daughter is reluctantly lured into prostitution to pay for her drug habit. 
she is taken captive by the sadistic tattoo man to satisfy his torturous sexual desires. When Mitram discovers that the executioner is his best friend who saved his life in Vietnam, he tells him to leave town rather than arrest him. But the executioner sets out to get the tattoo man and his gang in an explosive battle of muscle, guns, and martial arts. A must-see film for fans of Death Wish. Spoiler alert. That, that was the whole film. <laughs> well, we've talked before about these old boxes doing that. But, I mean, just from reading that, I get a little bit of joy out of this story. I don't think I would enjoy it as much if the, if the subplot about the daughter entering prostitution was not in there. Those are my favorite parts of the movie. I think the, the best scene, the best crafted scene of, of this entire film, not that that's saying much, is when the daughter is meeting up with her, her drug connection in an alleyway and he slowly tries to convince her by kind of like implanting the idea in her head that she can get a hold of drugs if she you know hooks herself out but the way it's done the dialogue is is actually compared to the rest of the film like extremely well done uh, there are there are several scenes with the daughter that um, that I especially love, but we'll get to those. Like most of this movie is is very direct, but this is like the only scene where you can tell that this character, this this drug pusher, was written to not be direct, to try to convince this person that this is their this is their best option, but without telling them that directly. Yeah, he's 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 insinuating it. Yeah, he's insinuating. And that's about as subtle as this movie gets. Oh, yeah, this movie's the opposite of subtle. We should also mention, since on the back of the box, it pointed out that our main character is played by Christopher Mitchum. This is Robert Mitchum's son. Robert Mitchum is a fantastic actor who like was in a slew of Hollywood classics. Christopher Mitchum is not. So... I wouldn't confuse the two, even though there is a relationship. This man is like the worst possible actor, the type of person to pick as your leading man. Yeah, he's immensely boring. Zero charisma. I think every line he delivers is deadpan. Well, I, this might be a good moment to play the trailer so we can hear some of this acting we're talking about. Um, and then we'll get into the story. When crime took over the city, he came to clean it up. Muggers, rapists, and thugs, beware. Death wish started. The exterminator continued. The execution of part two will finish it. The execution of part two, he's back. Starring Chris Mitchum and Aldo Ray. Excellent. And introducing Antoine John Matin. He is the judge, he is the jury, he is the executioner. He 
caught in the hell of Vietnam. Now, he's fighting a war in the streets. He wants to bring crime down and see that it is dead and buried. Executioner, part two. When the police can't stop the terror, the executioner can. He's a one-man army in a battle for survival. Put it down, Mike. He is a master of hand-to-hand -hand combat, an urban guerrilla in the concrete jungle. I think that music's the most inept shaft ripoff ever. Like it's so blatant. And, and it's, it's just, not even it's not even in the film. It's just in the trailer. No, it it it, it plays whenever he's like the exterm the executioner is going after somebody. Does it? Yeah, it kicks in. I don't remember yeah. that. Yeah, it does. Like it, I could I wonder if it was like only in the VHS release. But it was like every time the uh, executioner was about to, you know, jump in, the shaft music started. That is not the music I remember from this film. Oh, interesting. Yeah, no, I, I will. I will pull up what I remember. So that's what I'm talking about. That's the music that I remember from the film. Yeah, no, I remember that as well. I actually like that better than the shaft ripoff thing that plays. Oh, oh, for sure. Yeah. So we start off with the necessary Vietnam flashback, but then the, the funky music kicks in and I was like, now this seems like an Italian film. Do you think this was an Italian production? It certainly feels like it. It's a, it was filmed in the 80s, but it sounds like it's from the 60s. But I'm pretty sure that all of the Italian stuff we have watched from 70s on have better audio quality than this entire film. The, the cast and crew are all American, but I have a feeling that it was like the production was done in Italy to like cut costs. It's all it's all dubbed horribly, by the way. So there was, we know the sound was not recorded on set. And, and we'd love to check the credits to find out, but they're so bare bones. 
this movie starts out with a title opening panel that lasts maybe three seconds and then the credits at the end roll quick quickly by in maybe 10 15 seconds with mostly just actors and director credited it's really strange yeah the um the i don't even remember if my vhs played credits at the end i remember it just going right into frozen scream but i might be wrong so i watched this on youtube even though i have a cassette um and it ran about an hour 25. Luke has a VHS that's about 10 minutes shorter. Yeah, I think a lot of times on these double features, they they cut them down some. So we'll see if there's any significant differences. Uh, given this movie, I doubt it. Um, so how long is this Vietnam flashback scene for you? I don't remember. Because it is um, probably about five minutes long. Yeah, that's and- probably right. Okay, so I'm I'm just trying I'm gonna try to figure out what was cut from yours. I imagine it's just like side dialogue, but yeah, we, 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 we gotta talk out. about the, these Vietnam flashbacks though, because they they occur maybe like two or three times throughout the film. Do, do these look like the jungles of Vietnam to you? No, no, not at all. This looks like it happened in um, I don't know, like the central time zone of the U.S. Well, a lot of a lot of films filmed their Vietnam scenes in Florida, which makes they, a little more sense. Yeah, but this they doesn't could even not look bother like with that here. <laughs> there's, What's there's, that? They could not bother with that here. No, it it doesn't it doesn't look like Florida or Vietnam. I don't know where they are. No, it's it's somewhere in like the central east part of of the U.S. If I had to guess. Other than that, I found these Vietnam scenes to be the most unremarkable and boring parts of the film. Oh, for sure. And that I mean, I'm this is probably nitpicking, but like the helicopter that they used here is nowhere close to anything that would be used in the military. It looks like they maybe hired a, a helicopter tour, like sightseeing company, to just have the guy fly by. There's a there's a scene where it zooms in on the cockpit and the pilot is just like wearing shorts. <laughs> yeah. It does. Like I had the same thought that, Oh, they just rented a helicopter for the day. Cause there's, there's nothing else going on that resembles what we think of as the Vietnam war. Like, I don't remember any explosions going on or any glimpses of, you know, the Viet Cong or. It's there's definitely, like, there's zero Viet Cong throughout this entire film. No, there's like 10, 10 American service members running around with guns and a black helicopter. That's and pretty sometimes much they fall over. Yeah. Yeah. There's a scene where they are in a river and they're trying to make it dramatic. And this guy is holding on. This one soldier is holding on to another soldier and he's like, hold on. And then the other guy like slips and then just like lazily drifts down this river with a mild current. Like it's supposed to be like a raging a raging tide <laughs> right <laughs> anyway uh well, this this uh effort of this level of quality is what you can expect throughout this entire film well back in america um we see this uh this housewife i guess and her husband and they see these like gang guys dangling a girl over the side of the building and i thought this was really funny the wife says come look see what they're doing to her like she thinks it's like a uh, entertainment, right? But the husband is going to go up and stop him. And that's when we get our first glimpse of the executioner, the shaft music 
pops on and this guy dressed all in black with a black mask like goes and fights off these uh would-be rapists i guess oh they they totally did it in the version i watched i don't remember um i don't if they did i don't think we see much no you don't see much thankfully what stood out to you about the fight scenes in this movie it's that i was gonna say it okay so it's the signature hollywood stunt fighting style that you normally see for like 60s films like if you've ever watched like the original series of like star trek or certain like older westerns you might see like the over exaggerated like punches and like aerial drop kicks and grabbing like ceiling uh like ceiling railings and then using those as leverage to like lunge kick people it's that kind of fighting style it's like specifically a fighting style made by stunt actors to look flashy on camera i call this americanized kung fu and i think like uh if you don't know what i'm talking about think of like chuck norris right like that style of fighting but what really got me in this one is just like the Hong Kong Kung Fu movies, there's imposed sound effects of the punches and kicks and everything, and they're all exaggerated. <laughs> it makes yeah. them immensely entertaining, but they're not good. And we, we find out the backstory around this time from a news report. We should mention that after the executioner beats up the, the street punks, one of them gets left behind and uh, the executioner pulls out a hand grenade, unpins it, and sticks it inside the... the. It's like a mask that was made out of the victim's pantyhose <laughs> and leaves that dude on the roof to explode. This is an ongoing theme with the executioner where he drops a grenade somewhere on his victim, takes off, and then a giant explosion is just the next scene. But it's just like a, a stock superimposed repeats explosion that's used like four or five times throughout the whole film. Yeah, but this is this is the executioner's like signature finishing move. We should mention that he brings a handgun to all of these fights, but he just pistol whips people. He like never shoots anybody, but he will blow them up. Right. So let's play this news report that tells us about what's going on. Police still have no idea who the executioner is, and they don't want to talk about it. He either shoots his victims, cuts them with glass, or places live grenades in their clothes. He's cleaning out the criminals of the city, the rapists, the pimps, the drug dealers. He's doing a better job of fighting crime than the police. Maybe we would all sleep better if the police leave him alone. Except, you know, he's setting off explosive devices on people's living quarters, probably right. causing who knows what kind of collateral damage that's never brought up in the film. So let's try to trace the other relationships. So early in the movie, we meet a mechanic. This is Mike. And spoiler, but it's on the back of the box. He is the executioner. Mike is a big guy. And the executioner is the only other big guy in the film. So it's not exactly a hard, hard problem to figure out. Plus, we keep seeing Mike have these uh, Vietnam flashbacks and like reacting violently. We know it's him from the beginning. Like the movie is not trying to play coy. 
But anyway, so Mike has some sort of relationship with this mob boss who comes to his um, mechanic shop. The mob boss is Mr. Cassells, but everybody on the street calls him the tattoo man. <laughs> Which makes me laugh every time like I heard it or wrote it down. I don't know why. He's called the tattoo man, I guess, because he likes to burn his his the girls he rapes. He likes to burn them with cigarettes or or cut them and make marks on their flesh. Is that why? That's what I thought, because he doesn't have any tattoos. Yeah, he does. Where? All right. So throughout the entire film, this man is dressed to the nines, full suit, entire film. Even in his house, he just has like the normal organized crime velvet bathrobe that looks like he's like ready to just rip it off and start fighting people. And finally, at the end of the film, you'll see him take his top off and he has one tattoo on each arm. Yeah, I don't even remember that. I thought he was the tattoo man because he made these marks on girls. And apparently- that makes more sense, but I'm pretty sure it's because he has two tattoos. <laughs> well, his his central conflict is that none of the pimps on the street have any more girls for him because nobody will. I, I'm not sure if it's that none of the girls will agree to see him anymore or that he only likes young virgins and he's just run out of them. All of the prostitutes are are terrified of this guy because they don't want to be maimed. Right. So, um, so Mike has some sort of relationship with the tattoo man. He's also best friends with the police inspector, Roger. And they had been in Vietnam together and Mike saved Roger's life. So they have like, they're indebted to one another. Roger has a daughter, Laura, who is addicted to some kind of drug. They mention weed and cocaine. And uh, her best friend is Kitty. And Kitty has been dabbling in prostitution in order to pay for her drug habit and is trying to seduce Laura into joining the lifestyle with her. Is that a pretty good coverage of the of this setup? Yeah, and then there's the uh, German reporter. Right. So this is our our screenwriter of the film. Her name is Celia, I think. And yeah, this woman does not strike me as a reporter. She has a heavy accent. I don't think they were going to stick her on TV, especially in the, the 80s. But there she is. They probably would have left her as a, like a researcher. Yeah. So Laura is um, is early on trying to drug, uh, buy drugs from her drug dealer, uh, Vance. And Vance also happens to work for the tattoo man. But she is saying that she doesn't have any money to buy drugs. And he's like, I'm not a bank. I don't give credit. Um, and But there are other ways that you could make money. Is this the scene you're talking about liking? Yeah, but like the way the lines are delivered, like you know exactly where he's going from the very first word. It's not like it's not like he's figuring it out as it goes along. Like this isn't his first rodeo. Yeah, it 
what really made me laugh though and this seems to be the the overriding uh, philosophy of this movie um is when she finally comes out and says what he wants she says he's disgusting there's no way he'll do it and he says what's the big deal dope sex who cares you've already screwed yourself <laughs> like the philosophy seems to be that if you've done drugs your life is ruined so you might as well become a sex worker on the street and maybe that was the mentality in the 80s yeah i don't know that seems to be um that seems to be kitty's philosophy too i mean first off everything kitty says is ridiculous so i don't know how much we should you know take this with a grain of salt but at some point she says something like Laura's done drugs and once you've done drugs that's all that matters <laughs> so the the tattoo man and Vance and the police all want to get the executioner because he's killing Vance and the tattoo man's guys and he's making the police look bad so and, and the police commissioner also has some sort of relationship with the tattoo man, right? Like they're in, in league together. I don't think the commissioner is in league with the tattoo man, but I do think he has his campaign manager in league with the tattoo man. Right. There is definitely some corruption going on. But we see a bunch of scenes where like the executioner is stopping crime. And my favorite is when this... This whole gang of, of people like ransacks this diner or convenience store. And like the height of their cruelty is to pour milk all over the waitress. They end up cutting her throat. Yeah. Well, they, um, there's like one person who survives who's like crawling on the street all bloody. And this one guy says, if you call the police, I'm going to cut you. Um, but, Luckily, the executioner gets there just in time and saves that guy's life. But yeah, the waitress is, is done. Yeah, so it starts out with like what you'd imagine would be like a harmless juvenile crime, shoplifting, and then it turns into robbery, and they're smearing food everywhere, and then it turns into a homicide. They become like the, the super predators Hillary Clinton warned, warned people about in the 90s. And uh, when the executioner finally gets the guy, he says, I want justice. That's all I ask, you damn slime. And then, he, and then he blows him up with the grenade. Drops a grenade down the leg of his jeans. Do I mean, my, like, the executioner strikes me as just like Batman. Like, everybody should know who he is. Um, I don't know if it's uh, Batman. I think it's more of the Punisher. Okay, that's there's not okay. I guess there's not much of a distinction. It's you know vigilante justice, except you know Batman doesn't kill people. Right. Our first scene with uh, where we meet Laura and Kitty, they're supposedly studying, but they're both stoned, and Kitty is like shaking her book or her textbook around, and she's like, "I hate foreign languages." She says, I have better things to do than college and a stupid job. And then she's taking a drag on the joint and she says, I wish this was Coke. I wish Heavenly was Coke. Coke. Yeah. <laughs> like, wh what did you think of Kitty as a character? 
she played her role as the script demanded. Yeah, she <laughs> she definitely seems stoned the entire film. I mean, wouldn't you need to be to act in this? Yes. I mean, if the main character, <laughs> if the main character loosened up something beforehand, maybe you would have given up a better performance. I don't I read reviews online where people were talking about this movie having like like the entire film having a drugged quality where like everybody was acting just strangely and like the plot developments arrived, you know, odd rhythms. And I can kind of see that. There, so this whole movie is dubbed, but there is a lot of weird audio decisions with the dubbing. Like there's a scene where the main detective is talking, coughs during his line, repeats it, and that was the take they went with. <laughs> yeah, there seems to be no effort to match the the dialogue to the lips. Yo, there's a lot of scenes where the character's mouth isn't even moving. Well, I can't tell if she was only doing it on the recording or if the it, she was doing it during the scenes, but um, Kitty giggles nonstop. Like, through every line of dialogue, she's doing that, that typical stoner giggle. And uh, Laura asks her, like, where she gets the money to buy Coke. She says, I don't buy it. I make it. Because she is, she's hustling for Vance. And so she tells Laura that she should do it. And Laura agrees for the first of many times that this conversation happens. And Kitty calls up Vance. Vance says he has some very special people in mind. So we know that for Vance, Laura would be perfect for the tattoo man. Yeah, for sure. So Laura says that she'll do it, but Kitty has to be with her. I actually really like the scene where Laura is going to see Vance for the first time and she has to walk down this long blue lit hallway while like lounge music is playing in the background. It's very eerie and it actually gave me a sense of like her trepidation going into this scene. There are there are uh, more than a few scenes in this film where you can tell they're on a sound set. This is not one of them. They actually found some derelict building or at least neglected building out out in the city and had her walk through these hallways. Right. There's several times people walk down the same hallway, but Laura doing it was was a striking moment for me. Like they never say how old she's supposed to be. I mean, clearly the actress is an adult, but the character is in school. I'm assuming yeah, I got I got Not the sense college. that see, so you got like this, this like teenage minor hooked on drugs and now being convinced that she needs to like sell her body in order to, to get more. And, 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 yeah, and that, that, that's as dark as this film gets, but that's why it's a video store nightmare. Yeah, it's that's, the endangered that's the video child store nightmare part. Yeah. So Vance gets her doped up. And then he gives her to these two other girls and he says that they they should break her in. He can't do it because she can't lose her virginity. But as soon as they find out she's a virgin and they see how young she looks, they turn on Vance and they restrain him so that Laura has a chance to escape. 
and Vance yells, wait, you're letting my virgin get away. The first of many laugh out loud lines for me from Vance. So yeah, she's, there's been weed. There's been talk of Coke. And then before this uh, bedroom incident, Vance shot her up with something in a syringe. Yeah, we don't know what. They don't talk about it, but she's clearly fucked up. But still, she manages to escape. Yeah, and then in the next scene, we see her talking with Kitty and some other girl, and they're telling her that, you know, she doesn't need to worry about Vance. She needs to worry about the tattoo man. Can we play this scene? Yeah. It's not just another girl, though. It's a woman who, a working woman. Yeah, it's one of the it's one of the older prostitutes who was working for Vance, I think. Look, take my word for it. I've been around, and you can trust me, right? Right? Huh? Don't ever, and I mean don't ever, get cozy with a tattoo man. Oh, God forbid Pete set you up with a tattoo man. Oh, are you really that afraid of him? What's this bastard? He gets off on Torture pain. Girl. He gets off watching us squirm and scream with pain look look what he did to me look what he did to me used to be razor blades now i use a cigarette what did you submit to this crap for money i need the money i got a kid to support i can't let him go to a county institution listen to an old trooper's advice to a little girl look i have to live with this shit but you don't so why volunteer yourself Get out of it while you still can. Hey, listen, Laura's on drugs like the rest of us. (laughs) Yeah, so that's when Kitty goes on to say that, like, that's all you care about is drugs. Um, But that scene gives you a prime example of how the dialogue sounds in this entire movie. I want to talk about the police commissioner for a moment. Okay, so he is played by Aldo Ray who is a veteran of these kinds of movies. Like he's in so many of these like bottom shelf, low budget flicks. Do you think he was uh, put into the film after it was, after everything else was recorded? I thought about that because he, his scenes are oddly like isolated from the rest of the film. I think that's totally possible. Well, here's the big thing. There are, only two shots of this guy in the film not not scenes but the way he is shot there are direct front shots of him where he is clearly by himself with no other actor in the room and then there are shots where he has his back to the camera and there are other you know actors in the scene that actor wears glasses it is not the same guy <laughs> Did you notice that? I didn't catch that, no. It's like that in multiple parts of the film. Yeah, I would not have noticed that, but you're definitely right. (laughs) So I'm pretty sure this whole film was shot with, I guess, the original cast. And then they decided they needed to fill, you know, other parts of the film in post. And they got that guy to do it. It's bizarre. You know, normally I I try not to comment on like production issues for these films. Right. And I I try not to really look for them either. 
but they are all over the place in the executioner part two. Oh god yes i'm oh. i'm typically bad at noticing them but there's definitely some on full display for this one so we haven't really talked about this main detective yet mostly because he's he's pretty boring there's not yeah. much to talk about yeah we have a scene well th- there's there's a there's a there's a bar it looks like a buca de peppo or something where the mob boss meets with the commissioner at some point and then later on our detective mike and the reporter are just sitting down having dinner and in both instances there is a stage where they just have this random white girl twirling around on stage <laughs> yeah is is that what people did before smartphones in restaurants they just watched that I, what's going on here it is very odd it's it's like it's like a single girl who can't really dance just twirling around she's actually credited did you notice that no yeah she has she has one of those single names like share <laughs> i don't remember what it is but it's in there well i have been i have been in establishments where people dance on the tables but they never have looked anything like this. <laughs> so this is this is a unique vision. Maybe it was more typical uh, back then. I don't know. And just to be clear, this isn't a strip club. This is no. just a regular bar. And this woman yep. is completely clothed. Although it's... one time she is covered in tassels. <laughs> yeah, so we should have pointed out that Roger has a relationship with the, the news reporter, Celia, and everybody's also kind of frustrated with her because she's making the executioner out to be a hero and she's digging up dirt on the tattoo man. So nobody's a fan of hers either. And I think there's a point where the, the commissioner and the, and the tattoo man or Vance talk about getting rid of her. Does that sound right? Yes. And that happens in the same restaurant, I believe. Yeah. There's a scene that's kind of important, but we haven't talked about it because it's strange, at least to me. Um, Mike, the executioner, is not in his executioner outfit. And he goes into like a bar or a club and he just starts beating up all these people and telling them to leave. It's a movie theater that the criminal element have been hiding out in. The (laughs) detective mentions it during dinner. And then while he is and while the detective's dancing with the reporter, Mike goes out for some vigilante justice. But unlike every, every other time in this film, he decides not to wear a mask. I guess so you can definitely know, audience at home, that he is with 100% certainty the executioner. <laughs> yeah, but what's what's important about this scene, in addition to that he's maskless, is he breaks a bottle and crushes this guy's throat and he gets a cut on his hand and that cut is going to come into play later on. We haven't really talked about it, but the street gang, the kid gang that's been terrorizing the city is like the same gang in all of these scenes. And they seem to be ran by this guy who looks like a concierge. He's like considerably older than the kids. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. And he's like a reoccurring 
like mid-level bad guy and him and mike get into fist fights like the over-exaggerated american kung fu fights throughout the entire film yeah it's um yeah i don't know what else to say about him (laughs) i got nothing for him it's just weird that like that's just you know that's a thing yeah it's actually like a rivalry between the executioner and this other guy who's Name, I think, is mentioned one time ever. Honestly, there's like, there's so much going on in this movie, like different characters and plot lines that happen to intersect. And it's, it's kind of chaotic and like hard to follow at points. Um, In a better movie, you might say that it marshaled a large cast of characters and like painted a realistic vision of crime in the city but in this movie (laughs) realistic in this movie it just comes off as ridiculous and confusing well i mean my version was 10 minutes longer and the narrative seems fine from what i watched yeah i around a bit i tried to look up what the differences were but i i couldn't find anything you think this movie was trying to say something serious about like the nature of crime in America in the eighties. No. Like the struggle of like Vietnam veterans trying to like reintegrate back into society. No. Because if it was, like you just can't take it seriously because of everything else. Yeah, no, I think it was just it said like Rambo did it, Charles Bronson did it, like we can do it too. And and make some money. That that's all I think this was. So there's a scene where Laura is talking to Kitty and she says something like, maybe I'll try sex work again sometime. Like after her horrible experience, she's considering going back. And Um, then Kitty says, maybe sooner than you think, like (laughs) ominously. (laughs) Right. Right. It, it seems like Kitty is like in on something, but then in the next scene, Kitty sees Laura kidnapped by one of the tattoo men's got the tattoo man's guys and she's like shocked and disturbed and she sees them inject Laura with something and she runs off to try to call Laura's dad who's the police um police investigator uh but she can't get through to him because he said to hold all his calls at this point he knows that Mike is the executioner because he saw the cut on Mike's hand, got suspicious, and so he had a glass with Mike's fingerprints on it compared to the fingerprints from the broken bottle at the bar scene. And so he wants to go confront him. He had his calls held because he was uh, in a meeting with the evidence guy. Right, getting it confirmed. Yeah. And um, then she tries to call the reporter and she calls the news station and they're like, well, she's not here right now. Um, And she's like, well, please give me her private number. And they do like, like, is this something they would have done then in the eighties? Maybe definitely not now. I mean, I guess like at first it seemed really absurd, but then I thought about it. Maybe if you were a reporter, you would want people to be able to get your number because those are potential sources. Yeah. Um, So anyway, they give her the private number, but she can't get her either because the reporter 
is meeting with Roger, who is having this moral dilemma, like, do I arrest Mike, even though he's the guy that saved my life in Vietnam? This is such a non-ethical, like, argument. Yeah. They don't even try to to really paint the picture that, you know, I mentioned earlier, the the executioner is setting off explosives in public, which could cause, like, you know, uh, unintended casualties, blowback. Right. But the movie never goes that angle at all. And I think that's probably what they needed to do if they wanted to try to put some sympathy on actually trying to catch this guy. Yeah, no, they really make it seem as if the public loves the executioner. And then at the end, once he disappears, it's like ominous that crime might come back. That could have just been trying to set up executioner part three. I don't spoiler. There's, there's no follow up to this. No, but you know, I had a college professor who referred to, he called it interiority when a movie or book successfully put you in the inner life of the character where like you could understand their decisions and their dilemmas and, and their um, reticence to do things. And uh, this movie has no interiority. Like I have no sense at all of what Roger is thinking or struggling with at any given moment. Maybe because he really only has one facial expression. One expression, one tone of voice. Yeah. So when he, when he confronts Mike about being the executioner, even that scene is not like, he's not emotional or anything. And Mike's actor is like playing his heart out you know, acting delusional, talking about the past, clearly a man haunted by demons in the jungle. And then you have the detective who's just standing there saying, calm down, man. It's okay. (laughs) Right. (laughs) At first, Mike tries to play it off like he's not. He says that Nam made him hate killing. So he's not like he wouldn't be killing anybody. But then he starts getting into one of his uh, PTSD flashbacks and talking about how the enemy is out there. Like Charlie is still out there. It's just it's not in Nam. Now it's on the streets and how he needs to go after all these people who are bringing violent to the violence to the city because they're just like the enemy in war. Eventually, he points a gun at Roger and then he puts it in his mouth like he's going to kill himself. But then he finally takes it out. <laughs> Imagine watching your best friend almost kill themselves and your reaction is, hey, you got three hours. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what he says. <laughs> no context. Hey, you got three hours and then leaves. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. So not only like. Even if you didn't buy that he should have an ethical concern for all the people the executioner might kill, he should probably at least be concerned about his friend. Nope. He doesn't seem to have any concern at this point. Maybe you can explain this away with some sort of like meta meta excuse where the detective whose name I still haven't bothered to remember... <laughs> Is um 
is just so traumatized from his wartime experience that he just has no more emotional range, right? Like, this is all he can feel now. Sure. That, that, is, that is the only lifeline I can offer here. If the movie had given me any hint of that, I would have been on board. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, the reporter is trying to call Mike, or trying to call Roger, I mean, to because she got the message from Kitty that Laura has been kidnapped. But there's someone in her house, like one of the, the tattoo man's henchmen, who pulls the phone cord out of the wall and attacks her. And he injects her with something and says she's about to get the wildest news interview of her life. <laughs> At one point, like he has her tied up, this henchman does. And he's like, why should the tattoo man have all the fun? Like, I'm human too. I have needs. I should get to rape you <laughs> is essentially what this scene is about. Yeah. Like, what do you think the, the script writer was going for here? Like cognitive dissonance and a rapist but like out loud well and does it change anything that the person who wrote this screenplay is the one about to be raped yeah like maybe this was uh maybe this was a scene she especially wanted to do the room this is the scene happens in is very clearly a soundstage when the characters are entering and leaving the room you can tell it's just a black curtain behind the door it's it's only slightly more ridiculous than the room where the tattoo man takes laura which has all these posters on the wall and they're like like there's one of a tiger but then it's next to a movie poster for like it looks like a girl with a giant like anal hook in her and it says teen ass i think it spells a larger word but it's cut out this is actually vance's bedroom i don't know if this was in your version but there were like strange establishing shots where vance brought in random girl off the street to convert to his stable yeah along there, with kitty yeah i had those scenes yeah, okay. So this isn't the first time I've seen this room. I always thought, okay, so now that I'm looking at this poster, this looks like a lasso or a whip or something. I don't know if it's like a hook necessarily. Yeah, I couldn't. I, I mean, I was watching a grainy VHS. I couldn't really tell. Yeah, thanks, YouTube. can blow this shit up. Anyway, I, I don't know. I don't know if this room's that, that crazy. I just thought it was strange. But um, the tattoo man is saying to Laura, uh, he wants to be alone with her. He kicks his other girls out of the room, which they are con incredibly confused by. Um, and he's saying, you need to be punished, and I'm the one to punish you. And he starts to put out cigarettes on her. If you wanted to see his tattoos, this is where you would click on the YouTube video to see his uh, amazing two tattoos on his arms. One yeah, I don't care enough to find it. Um <laughs> It's one thirteen if you care. But uh, in the meantime, Mike is outside running down minions in his car. <laughs> and at one point he gets out and starts attacking them while the shaft music plays. And there, the, the rest of the scene is absolutely ridiculous where like Mike is just going after all the tattoo man's henchmen. One of the best things about this film is that 
you know, it's an 80s action film, so you still have a lot of practical physical effects going on. Like, it, you can tell that uh, anybody could have been hurt seriously at any time during these stunts. Yeah. And uh, I think the ineptitude of the casting crew uh, only makes that more likely. <laughs> I mean, for all we know, there could have been like major injuries. They just never saw the light of day. Yeah. Well, Mike helps Laura escape. Um, the news reporter gets away by grabbing a sword off the wall. Yeah, there's just the katana hanging from the wall. Hanging by chains. It's not even like one of those display things. It's hanging in a chain. So she manages to stab the henchman guy who wants to rape her. Um, yeah, she says, untie me so I can, you know, have free reign. And he's like, yeah, sure, because this man is thirsty. And then she <laughs> just immediately disembowels this guy. Well, no, actually, this is really disembowel. She, like, immediately pierces this dude in the stomach and, like, pins him to the to like some shitty mattress that's hanging on the wall. And then he tries to follow her, dragging the mattress. <laughs> to, to be fair, that's probably something that would happen like IRL. Because, you know, you're not really used to being, you know, stuck, pinned to, to an item behind you. No, but it... <laughs> I had never seen that particular um, action in a film before. So, uh, if for no other reason, I thank this movie for that. But the, to go back to um, the tattoo man and Mike interrupting, there's a scene where I legitimately thought the daughter was killed. Like she is messed up by the time Mike gets to the top floor. Yeah, but we don't see like any of that. Right. We just like at one point he's putting out cigarettes on her. And then the next scene, the next time we see her yeah, 40 she's seconds like, later, she's she all bloodied and beaten. Yeah. Like, if you were, if this movie were to have like serious continuity, then then you would say that she is probably scarred for life, mentally and physically. Like, there's no way you're coming out unfazed. Well, no, and what I mean, whatever happens to her, it it ends up with her having to stay in the hospital for days, which her father is very upset about because he says, "My daughter is in the hospital. Mike saved my daughter." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But Mike. no, the executioner goes out with a bang. He, instead of using hand grenades, upgrades to dynamite. <laughs> yeah. A whole ring of dynamite and leaves it up there for the tattoo man. So not only did they blow up the top of this building, uh, they probably, he probably caused significant property damage to like everything in the general area. Yep. It's really, it's amazing that they, he could even make it out of the building before... You know, it goes off, but, you know, you have to suspend some some disbelief, right, for a film like this? Well, Roger, this far. <laughs> Roger is is not at all concerned about any of this because his daughter was rescued. Um, and so when he finally tracks Mike down, he basically just tells him to leave town. The, the police commissioner is like furious. He wants the executioner caught and killed, but Roger lets him leave. Presumably to cause mass hysteria and terror somewhere else. Yeah, we get a final news report that says that the police suspect that the executioner has gone on to another town. But the news reporter is worried that crime will now return to their city. And 
we had the perfect setup for Executioner Part 3. Why didn't it happen? I mean, if this genre is any consideration, there's probably tons of films along these lines. Oh, there definitely are. So it's not like you're left completely hanging, right? No, if this is a genre that appeals to you, you have a a buffet of options out there. This is not a genre that I'm like... Like when these movies are done well, I don't find them that interesting. But in this movie, there's so much just wild shit going on. It's so bad and inept. And we've got the plot line with the daughter being like coerced into prostitution. This, all of that it elevates this to in, in my, into my realm of interest. You know, this movie was really missing some characterization where uh, Laura was like growing up in like a single parent household. I mean, it's obviously apparent she is. We never see the mom. Yeah, we, it, it never like, even mentions it. I mean, I, you know, there's the, um, you know, that stigma where you know, soldiers with PTSD are hard to live with. So like maybe she left because she couldn't handle the like the flashbacks or something, if he was that kind of guy. But he was so muted throughout the entire film. I guess you can't really use that excuse, right? No. All right, are we ready to uh, give final thoughts on this thing? I suppose. All right, go ahead. And a rating out of four. If you don't have any friends to watch this with, you can probably skip it. It is, it is a pretty wild movie. You can't take it seriously because of how everything's presented, even if there are some underlying serious themes to it, such as, you know, prostitution for drug for like drug to support drug addiction and uh, violent crime, police unable to to address it properly. All of these themes, all these serious themes are completely drowned out, though, by awful script writing, uh, bizarre production choice (laughs) choices strange audio like inconsistent audio throughout the whole film again there's a scene where a guy literally coughs during his 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 dubbed line and they just go with that take the police commissioner very clearly being portrayed as two different people really there's got to be a story behind that but i want to say they just had somebody else play the actual roles you know, th- this is still better than The Child, but I don't I don't think this is a very good film. It's just a fun film for for riffing. Again, if you don't have friends, skip this film. I'm going with one star. I, I you know, the best thing I can say about this film in, in my I mean, again, in my opinion, is the the stunt acting, despite being extremely ridiculous and not realistic at all, is still like good quality practical stun effects like it's great that's the best part about the film i like movies like this in two contexts um one i like watching them with a group of people and like you know mocking them and riffing on them i also just like putting movies like this on in the background while i'm doing other things because i don't really have to pay attention but every now and then i'll get a chuckle and you know i hear some some cool funky music in the background or something like um this is a movie you can absorb that way. Uh, I think this is a blast to watch, though. Like, I 
highly recommend it if you are into bad movies, um, 80s action movies, exploitation films, I- Italian crime movies. Um, if if you enjoy any of those genres, I mean, hell, if you listen to this podcast, this is probably a movie for you. It's by no means a good movie. It's a, it's a terrible, terrible movie. It might be the worst movie that we've reviewed on the show, but <laughs> uh, the child. I like the child, and I like this too, but for different reasons. I for the sheer entertainment value, I'm gonna give this two, but that's probably pushing it, and. Uh, it belies how much I suggest you actually watch it and have a good time. Yeah. You need to have friends and you can't be sober. Yeah. Be like Kitty. Let Kitty be <laughs> your role model for the enjoyment of this film. And if you, um, I think one of the DVD releases is just like the continental video where it also has frozen scream. Um, so I think that this is a fantastic double feature uh, they're different movies, but um, you know they're they're not quite the same genre or anything. Uh, Frozen Scream is a more straightforward horror sci-fi film that like involves zombies and stuff. But they're both equally wild and bizarre. Um, great double feature, and uh, we will do Frozen Scream next week. So. If you haven't seen that one, maybe check out both together and then join us for that episode as well. Oh, apparently this movie was trying to profit off the release of the ex, uh, the exterminator, not oh. the eliminator. Well, there is there is an eliminator as well. I mean, there, I I wouldn't be surprised. Same theme. There yeah. is a whole there's a whole world of these movies out there to be explored. Yeah, and you can get. You can get the two for the double feature DVD on Amazon for $17. I think that's totally worth it. All right. I think that's it for this week. Uh, Leland, do you have anything anything else? Thank you for your continued support. Yeah, awesome. And um, as I said, join us next week to talk about Frozen Scream. Uh, in the meantime, you can follow us on Instagram at video.store.nightmares where I post everything that we do. Um, We would love to hear from you guys and uh, talk to you. If you have film recommendations, uh, those might be cool to hear. So um, yeah, reach out. And otherwise, uh, we will see you next week to talk about Frozen Scream.